Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Abraham drawing near to God was Abraham connecting himself to the message of intercession for his nephew Lot, just as the Lord Jesus Christ connected his message of intercession for lost sinners. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or available free on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, we always need your listenership, but also your financial support to continue this Bible teaching radio program, Friendship with God, on the air. Now, Tom Cantor is our wonderful Bible teacher, but we need you as the listener to be involved and support this radio program, this daily radio teaching program. And to do so, you can donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate monthly or just a one-time donation. But to encourage you to donate, we have a wonderful book from Tom Cantor called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. It's written by Tom Cantor with 34 of the most popular questions that Jewish people have. Tom Cantor, being a Jewish Christian, has a deep desire and heart for Jewish people to be saved and wants to answer their doctrinal questions on who the Jewish Messiah is. Now let me read you some of the questions that are answered in here, and they're not simple answers that are given. They are simple questions with simple answers, but there is great doctrinal detail given in them. Such as, do the Hebrew Scriptures support the triunity of the Godhead? Is the Jewish Messiah God as man? Is the Lord Jesus Christ God? Is it possible for God to see God the Son? And how can the Jewish Messiah be identified? And how do the Scriptures support the virgin birth? And do all men have a sinful nature? Some of those are very simple, basic questions, but with great detail. But also very intense questions, such as, where was God during the Nazi disaster? Did Jewish people automatically go to heaven? What peace did the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, bring to earth? And does God ever use numbers to send secret messages, as the Kabbalah or other Jewish mysticism writings teach? So there's some great Basic doctrinal questions answered with great detail, but also some very exterior questions that are answered. You'll enjoy this book by Tom Cantor. It's yours for a $20 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. You can call us now or after the program with your donation of support, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. .org. Go to our online bookstore and order Frequently Asked Questions by Tom Cantor. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us today how Abraham, drawing near to God, was connecting himself to his message of intercession for his nephew Lot, just as the Lord Jesus Christ connected his message of intercession for lost sinners. So God's embroidered righteousness of Christ on the soul is the only righteousness that can guarantee a person's entrance into heaven to stand in the congregation of the righteous as described in the first Psalm, verse 5, where it says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. See, it's God's woven righteousness of Christ on the soul. It's the only way to heaven. That's what he was talking about when he said in John 14, 6, that Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, notice how this three-verse section starts with the words, and Abraham drew near, it says in Genesis 18, 23. Abraham drew near and said. So the verse does not simply say, and Abraham said. It doesn't say that. And these two words that are put there, we take a special notice of them because they're important. It says, and Abraham drew near and said. It means that Abraham just didn't speak from a distance. 
But what we see from these two words is that Abraham got right in front of God. He got into God's space. Sometimes somebody gets close to you and you say, you're in my space, right? Well, this is what Abraham did. He got right in God's space. And God welcomed Abraham to get into his space. And by drawing near, we see that Abraham is saying that it's not good enough for me just to get the message across to God. You know, it's not a telegram you know, or, or an email. You know. When these words are here, by drawing near, Abraham was doing something very, very important. By drawing near, Abraham was linking his message to himself. Abraham was linking his message to himself. By drawing near was the one way for Abraham to link himself to his message. Now, there was another way that the Bible describes this linking the message together and to his or her message. And it's when the speaker linked his or her message in the Bible and they linked it to the message by associating their message with their voice. And when Rebecca wanted to command her son Jacob to go and deceive your father, and he wasn't really willing to do that. I mean, he was afraid of being caught. But she overcame his resistance by three words that she kept using in Genesis 27. She said it this way, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. See how she didn't say obey with my words? She said obey my voice. And then in Genesis 27, 13, it says, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. And in Genesis 27, 43, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran. Now, why didn't Rebekah say to Jacob, Do what I tell you to do. You know, obey my words or do this. Why did she keep making reference to her voice? Because when Rebecca wanted Jacob to do what she was commanding, mama's boy, I shouldn't put it that way, (laughs) to do what she was commanding. Why did she keep saying obey my voice? Because Rebecca knew she had to overcome Jacob's resistance to deceive his father. And she needed to pull out all the stops, and she did. And she put maximum pressure on uh, little Jakey to go execute her plan. And she put this ultimate pressure on Jacob by linking her message to herself. Jake, this is your mother speaking. This is your mother commanding you what to do. And she wanted Jacob to see her commands as linked to his mother. So she kept saying to Jacob, obey my voice. Remember who's commanding you to do this. And do it. Don't think. Just do it. I'm telling you. I'm your mother. And it worked. And Jacob obeyed his mother. Because she linked her command to herself with the obey my voice routine. But when God wanted Abraham to hold nothing back and to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22, God did exactly the same thing. He linked his command to his person. And Abraham was able to move in the direction. He surrendered all. He was about to sacrifice his son Isaac because Abraham saw the link between the command and the Lord Jesus Christ and God who was commanding him. See, it worked so well so that when God described what Abraham did, 
God used exactly the same language that Rebekah did when God said in Genesis 22:18, Thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And when God, or when the Lord Jesus Christ, when God was commanding the Jewish people to obey his commandments, he used exactly the same language when he spoke to them in Exodus 9.5. He said, therefore, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. So he didn't just say, if you keep my covenant, then you'll be a peculiar treasure unto me. But he said, if you obey my voice, indeed, then you're going to be the peculiar treasure unto me. So in each case of this, it was Rebekah saying to her son, Jacob, look at me and hear my voice and what I am commanding you. You will obey me because you will hear my voice in these commands. And the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to Abraham, Abraham, look at me and hear my voice. And when I tell you to sacrifice Isaac, you will see this command as linked to me and you will obey me because you will hear my voice in this command. And when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was saying to the Jewish people, Jewish people, Israel, he's saying, look at me and hear my voice, and when I tell you to keep my covenant, and when you see this command linked to me, you will obey me because you will hear my voice in this command. And in exactly the same way, when we read the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us exactly the same thing. The Lord Jesus Christ says to each one of us, Christian, when you read your Bible, look at me and hear my voice And when I tell you to obey what the Bible commands, when you see that this Bible is linked to me, you will obey me because you will hear my voice in the Bible. See, in all these cases, it's the speaker linking himself or herself with the message. So when we read in verse 23, in Genesis 18, 23, and Abraham drew near and said, What we're seeing with those words, and Abraham drew near, is Abraham linking himself to the message. And the message in this case is a message of intercession. So by drawing near, Abraham wanted God to see. Abraham was intricately intertwined or connected with the message. The message was a part of Abraham. And these two little words, drew near, made all the difference between Abraham just delivering a message that really wasn't a part of him and Abraham linking himself to the message that he was delivering. So by drawing near to God, Abraham was saying to God, hear my voice. I'm linked to this message. Now, the gospel is a message that God wants us to become linked to. There's a wonderful picture of this linking throughout the book of Romans, this linking of the gospel message to Paul. And it's wonderful when you trace it out. Because in Romans 1.1, Paul says, Paul, he identifies himself. He says, Paul, a servant of God, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Those are the words. He says that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was called to be apostle. And then he says he was separated unto the gospel of God. 
So here Paul, he's telling us that he has been separated unto the gospel. And that phrase, separated unto, is very much like a marriage. It's the basis for you know, the traditional vows, which we don't hear very much anymore. But anyway, the traditional vows has this one part of it where each person says, I forsake all others, forsaking all others. You know, I promise to love, honor, cherish, protect, forsaking all others. See, that's the separating part. But marriage is a process. Boy, is it ever. <laughs> As my friend John would say, keep going, Tom, you're digging a hole now. Anyway, this marriage is a process of growing closer to each other. And we can see this process in the life of Paul throughout the book of Romans as he gets closer and closer to the gospel message in the way that he refers to the gospel throughout the book of Romans. See, in Romans, we already saw that it was called the gospel. And then in Romans 1.9, it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son. So here... Very objectively, Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of his son. First was the gospel, now it's the gospel of his son. In Romans 1.15, Paul says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Again, Paul is referring to the gospel objectively as simply the gospel. And in Romans 1.16, that verse we're all familiar with, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ as the power of God unto salvation of the Jew first and also the Greek. So there he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So again, Paul is referring objectively to the gospel as the gospel of Christ. And then as we're getting toward the end of the book now, in Romans 15, 16, he says that I should be the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ of the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. So again, it's objective. He's calling it the gospel of God. But he gets to the third to the last verse in the book of Romans, in Romans 16.25. And he calls the gospel something he's never called it before and never does in the rest of his epistles that we see. But boy, can we see it's true. And here he says in Romans 16.25, Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel. He calls it my gospel. He's taken ownership. Now, the book of Romans is like Paul's life confession where he's going deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. And the time finally reaches when he gets to the end of Romans and he's not calling the gospel the gospel as he did in Romans 1.15. The gospel of his dear son as he did in Romans 1.9. The gospel of Christ as he did in Romans 1.16. The gospel of God as he did in Romans 15.16. But now... He says, this is my gospel. He's married to it. He's linked himself to the message. And he's fully married now to the gospel message. And that's God's goal for us. That's what he wants for each one of us. To come to the place where the gospel is my gospel, our gospel, your gospel. Because, you know, when we go to the lost and we bring the gospel, you know, the lost really have one question. How much is this gospel really a part of you how much are you doing this because you have to do it that's their question in other words the lost look at us when we bring the gospel and they say are you just a talking catechism is that what you are or is this really you I remember one time my son david was giving a, a tour to a former employee who had left and gone off to medical school and so forth and came back and she said to david well dave i know what your father believes well what do you believe <laughs> so 
Are you just telling me what you learned in some evangelism class? Are you reading notes that you've written down on the palm of your hand? You know, step one, get them lost. Uh, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Let's see. And step two, show them hell. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. What's next? Show them salvation. Rome, you know, 6.23. The gift of God is eternal. I don't know. So forth. Ask for the decision, you know. So, because the lost have one question. How much is this message really linked to you? How much is this your gospel? How linked are you personally to this gospel message? That's what they want to know. Is it just external? The gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ? Or is it internal? My gospel. And people can tell If you've linked yourself, like Abraham did, drawing near to God, if you've linked yourself to the gospel message as my gospel or is it just the gospel, they can tell when we tell them the gospel. They can tell. Are you acting like a professional? You're telling me the gospel because it's your your, your profession? Or is it a confessional? Are you confessing from your heart, from your soul? And when we know that we are married to the gospel, people can tell. People can tell that. Now, what do you do if, when we don't feel like we're married to the gospel, but we want to be married to the gospel? We don't, what's a person to do? Well, the picture we see of Abraham drawing near to God, drawing closer. What if we look at ourselves and say, well, good for Abraham. You know, he could draw near to God, but I don't feel as close to God as Abraham did. What am I supposed to do? The answer is found. You might want to turn to it in Jeremiah 30, 21, because a very interesting phrases are in there, descriptions of what happened to a person in Jeremiah 30, 21. God here is, of course, speaking about Israel or complaining about Israel. God did a lot of complaining about Israel. Poor God. Anyway, Jeremiah 30, 21. He says, their nobles should be of themselves and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them. And then he said, I will cause him to draw near. So notice God says, I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach unto me. Then there's going to be a stop. And God asks this question, who's this? Who's this that has engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? God says, okay, now, I'm going to cause him to draw near. I'll cause him to approach unto me. But then it's like God stands back and says, well, who is this? Who is this who has engaged his heart? In other words, it works like this. When we engage our hearts to approach them, try. God says, I'll help you. I'll cause you to draw near. I'll cause you to approach to me. But it's a case of us making the decision to engage our hearts, to care, to engage our hearts. So in this verse, we can see in Jeremiah 30, 21, we can see God asking this question. Who's this? Who's this? That's engaged his heart to approach unto me. And we see here God's looking for that person. He's looking. Whoa, who's engaging their heart to approach me? And then God describes him, that person, as the one who did engage his heart to approach God. And God says, oh, look, look, there he is. There's the person who really wants to draw near. And then after his singling out that person, God says, I'll cause him to draw near. I'll cause him to approach unto me. So when we read the words that Abraham, about Abraham, that he drew near, it makes us say, I want to be that type of friend of God that Abraham was, that Abraham was able to draw near to God, not be afraid. Okay, what was the purpose? What did Abraham have in mind when he was drawing near to God? Back in Genesis 18. He wasn't drawing near to God to ask for himself. Abraham was drawing near to God in order to intercede, to come in between. And that makes God happy when we pray for others. God knows all about our troubles. And if we only come to God with our own needs, 
That's not so good. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 31-33, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, they're chump change to God. He says, they shall be added to you. So what's the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God are the people. People, kingdom, people. That's why Abraham was praying for others. The others are going to make up the kingdom of God. And so God's looking for people like Abraham. And he says that in Isaiah 59, 16, when God says, he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. It's a serious thing when God looks for someone and he doesn't find somebody and God's scratching his head saying, I can't understand it. I wonder why there's no intercessor. Then Abraham goes on in verse 25, and he's this phrase he uses twice in this verse, in verse 25, where he says, that be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So from what we can see, Abraham is thinking about what is far from God, or in other words, what God will never do. And he argues, slay the righteous with the wicked, cast those who have been embroidered with the righteousness of God into hell. That's far from God. No, that's not going to happen. So on one hand, what we see here is that it's far from God to cast the justified into hell. But on the other hand, there's something else that's far from God, and that's found in Exodus 34, 7, a familiar verse where it says, He keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means just clear the guilty. He visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, children's children, third, fourth generation. So although on one hand, God keeps mercy and forgiveness, and from, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, he's not just going to just by no means clear the guilty. He will not just overlook or forget about it, the iniquity, transgression, and the sin. See, on the surface, this, it looks contradictory because you say, how can God on the one hand be merciful and forgiving, and on the other hand, he's by no means going to clear or, as the Hebrew says, cleanse the guilty? And the answer to the question is found in one word, and it's the word in uh, Exodus 12, where it says, speaking about the Passover, it says, Thus shall you eat of it, and with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover, referring to the Lamb. That's a description of the Lamb that was killed on the night of Passover, which is described in the verses before in Exodus 12, 6 or 7. You shall keep it, referring to the land, up until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it. In the evening, they shall take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. That was a lamb. Each family had their own lamb. That was a lamb that was chosen. That was a lamb that was kept. That was a lamb that was carefully observed to be without blemish, confirmed. And that was a lamb that was killed. That was a lamb whose blood was precious. That was a lamb whose blood was collected. That was a lamb whose blood was applied or used to strike onto the two side posts and the upper beam over the door of the house. Most of all, that was a lamb that was trusted because everyone in the house was trusting in that lamb, that family lamb. And no one in the house wanted to see the death of the firstborn. 
everyone was trusting solely in that lamb for safety. The lamb was chosen, kept, observed, killed. The blood was precious, was applied to the door, and then the lamb was trusted to save from death. That was the family's Passover, the family's Passover lamb. But the lamb is called, in Exodus 12, 11, it is the Lord's Passover. See, by following God's instructions, the family made the Lord's Passover lamb their family Passover lamb. And when the family obeyed or followed God, and obeyed God, then God's, or the Lord's, Passover lamb became their family Passover lamb. And when we obey God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we obey God who presented to us the Lord Jesus Christ in John 1.29 as behold the Lamb of God, the Lord's Passover, then when we obey what we are commanded to do in Isaiah 53.10, thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That's a command. And when we make the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ our offering for sin by receiving him as our Savior, then the Lord's Passover becomes our Passover, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program. To receive our resource, Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People by Tom Cantor, this wonderful book, you can call us at 800-247-3051. It's a donation of $20 or more, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to get the Frequently Asked Questions book, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or 800-247-3051.